0: Is loving on all things HR. This is a lucky episode number 13. We've got an awesome guest today. Our guest is Mark Mitford. He is a strategic leader, management team advisor who is business and HR focused. Mark has 20 plus years working as an HR executive, mid sized to Fortune 500 companies with strengths of talent management, leadership development, coaching, performance management, proving company culture, all things HR and leadership. During his career, Mark has successfully worked in companies such as PepsiCo, Ericsson, Nortel, Texas Instruments, and Safeco. As of 2013, Mark transitioned from a corporate HR career, started his own HR strategic consulting company, HR Catalyst Consulting. Mark, we are so excited to have you. Welcome to All About HR.
1: Great, thanks Tom, happy to be here. How are you doing today?
0: You know what, it's snowing. We got about six inches outside here in Denver. And it's a shock because I was running in a T-shirt yesterday. So glad to be inside recording with you, Mark. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's that sounds like a perfect place to be today.
0: So I'm going to ask you uh, first question. It's pretty wide. Favorite band, favorite podcast, audiobook. But what are you listening to right now, Mark?
1: You know, it, it probably goes back to kind of all of the above. I love uh, I love a lot of stuff from uh, Patrick Lencioni. Mm-hmm. So yeah, The Table Group, some really good content, love his books, use a lot of his books with some of my, uh, the different clients that I work with. So um, yeah, I would say a lot of things. I do listen to a couple of podcasts by Patrick Lencioni. He has a great blend of very, he's very personable and real, but also he's got some very insightful comments. So that's, uh, that's probably uh, kind of where I'd sit for now.
0: That's great. Uh, I have not. I'm actually surprised. This is episode 13 and I have not had uh, Patrick Calencioni. Did I pronounce that correctly?
1: Yeah, you did.
0: Patrick Calencioni. I have not had that come up yet. And that's one of my favorites. So, There you go. So you've got a long career. You've done a lot of things in HR. Um, So I think it's going to be a pretty fun and winding conversation. I'm not sure where we're really going to end up today. But what was it like? going from working with Fortune 500 to midsize to now companies starting up just trying to build out their HR programs with your organization, uh, HR Catalyst Consulting?
1: Great question. I would say the biggest thing, a, a couple of big things there, I'll try to unravel it without without being too lengthy, but um, working for up to a PepsiCo, Fortune 50 type organization, you know, they, they had such, there were so many specialty organizations that were considered the whatever you want to call them, the centers of excellence, where you had compensation, you had benefits, you had training and development, you had change management people. They were all separate departments. So I would say the nice thing there is that if you you could become very grounded, become very expert in something and just go very narrow and deep. And what the major difference there when I went in the middle market, which is about the last eight years of my corporate career moved into the middle market world anywhere from about companies between 50 million uh, to about two or 300 million in revenue. The biggest thing is then you have to really become much more of a truer generalist and you have to know a little bit about everything. And that really opened my eyes to the world of compensation, the world of benefits and things that were a little more uh, really going a little bit more broader and not as deep in some of those functions so i really enjoyed that experience and ironically that worked out very well chronologically because the last eight years of my career was spent in that middle market world so i started in the much larger companies and then i dropped down in size that kind of i got it was an eye-opening experience for me and that was a little bit of that light bulb moment around possibly Going into my own car, starting my own um, consulting practice with HR Catalyst in 2013, so you know in essence the the biggest difference um, is really about you. You become very specialized and very niche in the, the the larger company world, and then you have to be a much broader focused and much more of a generalist within the smaller to middle market size companies. Where that's kind of the sweet spot of what we do today is really focusing on those classical lower middle market size companies and bringing HR strategic expertise in a lot of different buckets or disciplines within the HR function.
0: That makes a lot of sense. You know, I came out of the hospitality industry out of college and I worked for large convention hotels and I did a lot of things, but I had my main focus. And then I went to a smaller hotel and I was like, this is going to be a breeze. But then I ended up having to be a specialist in everything. I ended up having to wear all these different hats. And not just cover, but really, truly, deeply understand all these different areas. So it sounds like, as you kind of scale down, that it sounds like that crosses over all kinds of different parts of the business unit. Which brings me to, I think, the next question, which is, So when you go to that spot, or if you're coming from the other spot, we're just starting and I have all these things we need to get done or learn or get established, how do growing organizations build an HR strategy? Where do you start?
1: Yeah, I I would say there, Tom, is where you would start is really, I would say you've got to start as high, as strategic as possible. A lot of organizations really do not have a well-defined culture they don't have a compelling mission or purpose statement set of core values and so much of the work that we do at hr catalyst is around focusing around building strat building programs and strategies that are based off of really the the foundation of why the company exists and also around its core values and so a lot of what we try to do within organizations is we love to start strategically Uh, a new client we're going to start working with in the next few weeks. We're going to start. They do not have a compelling mission or purpose, and they don't have a set of core values that they've got embedded in their organization. So we're going to start there, and then we're going to build a lot of the core H.R. programs around around hiring, around succession, planning, leadership. We're going to build it around their core values. And so in essence, we're going to start culture being the spoke, and then we're going to build all the different. We're going to build all the different or the, the hubs, excuse me, And we're going to build all the different spokes around their culture, their core values, and really what becomes, what should become a much stronger kind of identity. And that's going to help them in recruiting strategy. will help them ideally differentiate themselves in the marketplace to become a competitor of choice and a brand of choice to actually work for, and also work with from a marketing perspective.
0: Organizations that haven't already said, Hey, let's define our culture mission core values. And now you're coming in going, okay, this is where we're going to start. It almost seems like it's one of those things that's like, this is where we're going to start. How do these leaders that haven't started there on their own or didn't know how to start there, like, how do you get them on board with that? Is, is it pretty easy? Am I overthinking this? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like, you know, if you're running a successful business and didn't stop and go, let's have all this early on, and you're now coming back to it, like, What's that dynamic like? I feel like that's gotta be pretty hard for you and your team coming in sometimes.
1: Right. You know, and, and there's there's typically two responses <clears throat> of varying degrees. One of them is, you know, this we don't this culture is just a bunch of it's just, you know, it's a bunch of bull. We don't really need it. It doesn't add value because it's especially if they're making a lot of money. I would say that nowadays the company's highly profitable. But nowadays i think there are so many especially in the market we live in today around the great resignation the struggle for talent i think that organizations fully understand that you have to do something you have to have a very a very unique value proposition around who we are how we're differentiate ourselves from working for another company just like us down the street and so you either, get, you either get CEOs who are like, they're intuitively, they know it, but until they talk to somebody like somebody that I work with that works on our team, then there that could be that light bulb moment to where they're like, you know what, that's exactly what we've been missing and that's a part we're missing. That makes sense. Yeah. So the other thing I would say there too, there, but there are some companies, I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to act like, you know, cotton candy and ponies and honey. Here, there are some companies who just say, that's great, but we really don't think there's a lot of value add there. And so, and and then if they really feel that way and they don't, they don't really see our, our value proposition around, we truly don't know what we don't know about the people side of the business, then it could be much better that we don't actually have them as a client. Because if we're always going to be rolling a boulder uphill, it's just not going to work for us. And it's usually the ones who who get, they just don't, they don't have the the a people strategy. They don't have somebody to lead a people strategy within their business already. And that's a little bit of that missing, it's it's the missing cog in the machine that those are the companies that, that when they hear what we do and they understand the way we think through the human capital side of the conversation, that's where I think most of them, if they really do understand there's a lot of challenges there and they don't understand it, they will, it'll be a much happier relationship. And then we can really add value to their organization.
0: So with culture and core values and some of this being the hub, I want to talk about some of the spokes, but I want to ask one more question while we're here. You get that in place, right? You get the mission and you start shaping this, but let's go a little deeper. With organizations that have an unclear culture, how do you start shaping that culture? You, you get the big one. That's not it, right? Like you get that in place right off the bat. That's smart. What comes after that?
1: I think the big thing there is on that, Tom, is that they, they, they first and foremost, they have a culture, whether they know it or not. And it's either going to be a very intentional executive owner, executive leadership team driven in culture that they just continue to, it's almost like a drumbeat that they continue to reinforce or it's an employee led culture. And if it's an employee led culture, it's you never know what you're going to get. Because of course, there are going to be very high performing, passionate employees who get the value proposition. But you also have are going to have a number of rogue employees who are very disengaged. And so you really are going to get this. It's almost like if you try to paint a picture, if you try to if you take all the colors within the color palette, and you mix them all together, you're going to get this murky, Ugly looking, murky browny, mustardy looking goop. Yeah, and so that's where I think that companies that struggle, and I think with the amount of leadership, the amount of things that are coming out now that have been coming out of the last five or ten years, that are very popular around, you know, having a, a strong culture, and also the way we talk about it too is if you have a strong culture, core set of core values, mission. There's lots of case studies we can cite, which will say this will directly correlate to better performance, both top line revenue and profitability. So it's a very easy, because if they say, well, this is just soft and fluffy, and that this has nothing to do with our business, nothing to do with profitability, I can go out there and quickly cite time and time again, organizations that have a strong culture, and oh, by the way, they're also the market leader in their industry, our market segment. So I think I can help them understand that they're really financially driven and they have a CFO who's the CEO, there's a really easy way to still sell that, that this will give you much, there'll be a much higher chance that you'll be able to not only attract and retain the best people, but this will also drive um, drive top line revenue and bottom line profitability.
0: People limit where I work, we see that same exact data, so I'm going to give you a thumbs up, A-plus uh, uh, on that assessment. Not that you're looking for that, but I, <laughs> we, we are totally, totally aligned there. So you've got culture going in. What, what are some of the next steps? I mean, does it go to compliance? Like, okay, we've got culture going. Let's head off some of the big stuff that could topple this whole thing. Or that's just where my head went. Like, What are some of the next steps as you're building a source strategy for these organizations?
1: Right it could start you know we we also want, we always want to make sure we want to be honest and making sure there's not a, like a dumpster dive occurring and they don't have major compliance exposure issues so we do things on the compliance side which is very highly important we love to start though around we would go back into recruiting talent management strategies understanding that they have that that's that's going to be consistent around recruitment talent management around performance evaluation processes how often are you doing reviews are you doing touch base meetings that are quicker and more informal on a regular basis ideally we love to see clients do that at least monthly or quarterly do you have a compensation strategy or philosophy and usually a lot of companies we deal with it's almost like they look at us like we have three heads when we talk compensation (laughs) strategy or philosophy because they don't know what we're talking about so we help to educate them the other big thing we'll talk about there too i would say would be around we, we do some core things around leadership development and leadership coaching, because we know that at the end of the day, if you don't have strong leaders, especially in that first level leadership positions, and a lot of our clients typically have never done any leadership training. If you don't have really good leaders who are the, you know, the sergeants and the lieutenants who are really driving the workforce and the key contact with the work- workforce, then everything's going to stop doesn't matter how good. The executive leadership team has everything sorted out. If you don't have strong leadership at the first or second level, everything you you work on is gonna be falling on deaf ears. So, we, so those are a couple of things we would like to focus on initially. The beauty of what we do too, it's all based on pain points within the organization. So we don't have a step, cookie cutter, 10 step process to work with a client engagement. They're all gonna be somewhat different and they're all gonna be fully customized to what the organization's major pain points are and where we think we can add the most do the most value added work and make sure we have a consolidated strategy going into an engagement that we're all in agree- we're in agreement and we want to make sure of course the leadership team is in agreement with what we're going to do with them direction
0: i went straight to compliance because when i took over as ceo of this uh, restaurant company that was the first thing i actually had. <laughs> no questions asked that's where that's where i was spending my time
1: right right
0: So as you're building these HR teams and building this strategy, one of the biggest conversations that I'm having out in the HR social conversation space is HR having a seat at the leadership table. That it's not just an admin function, that it needs to be part of leadership, part of decision making. What are your thoughts on that as you're building out a team? Like how do you, and it can be different, obviously, but how do you position HR with some of the executive leadership as you're building out these teams for them?
1: Sure. Now, that's 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 um, really, really, a really good question. Insightful. It's, you know, I would say the first thing is just the whole thing about the seat at the table. And that's been a, a, a term used in HR speak for years. I'm a big fan of saying, you know, you need to earn the seat at the table. You shouldn't just be handed a seat at the table. Case in point with myself, I went back and got an MBA. Fairly early in my career, so probably three years in, nobody told me to go get an MBA. My manager didn't instruct me to. Just because I think HR people, my biggest, sometimes I rub HR people the wrong way because I say HR people need to not only know, not only be very proficient at HR speak, they need to be, first and foremost, especially as you move up the HR world and the HR ladder, you need to be very proficient in, in business speak. Because the only way you're going to gain credibility with the leadership team is if you speak their language and you're not turning everything into, into people jargon and not only and also not just focusing on on compliance. So I would say that's the first comment there. The The other thing I would say there is that you need to fully I, I always I told people when I was corporate and I had a team of HR people working for me. If you need to miss my meeting to go to a business meeting. You know, ditch my meeting, go to the business meeting because you're going to learn a lot more and you're also going to gain credibility with your business leaders you support because, and that's just going to get you more. um, It's going to be able to learn their verbiage and their vernacular and their pain points. And then the HR piece is going to be secondary. So, um, I do want competent HR people, but I do tell people first and foremost, if you're going to get an advanced degree and you're in HR, go get an MBA, it's going to be much, makes you much more credible. And then the other thing, too, is go to the business meetings first, hang out with the business people. Don't be, don't hang out with the HR people because you're going to learn a lot more from the business people and you're going to gain credibility from them a lot quicker if you do that, uh, if you focus on that strategy. So that's my my thoughts uh, on, that, uh, on that question.
0: You have to get the right people in the right seats on the bus. But if you get the right people on the bus, they can sit in multiple seats. And just because you're in one seat doesn't mean... You deserve the next seat. You got to earn it. You got to work for it. Right. You've got to build that base. So I, I don't think I can disagree with that. One of the things I think we're talking about in a broader sense is change management, right? Like you're bringing in a lot of change to these organizations. I know a lot of the folks that listen to this. I know a lot of people out in the workplace right now are really at an inflection point, you know, with with work. So can you? Can we pivot slightly, but talk more specifically some best practices regarding change management mm-hmm. uh, for these organizations you're working with, and in general?
1: Sure, and I would say the biggest the biggest thing with change management is you know you you have to have a formalized there's there's a formalized process to change management. Um, a lot of folks have PhDs in change management. It's that becomes such a such a, a, a sought after discipline. I would say the biggest thing with change management is understanding two clear things. One of them is understanding what your burning platform is, because if you don't have a burning reason to change, mm-hmm. then why change? If you're changing for change's sake, then that's, you know, it, it's naive or stupid, whichever you want to say. So so I'd say one of the key things is what is your burning platform to change? And I think, of, you know, coming out of now, you know, March 2022, we're, you know, hopefully knocking wood coming out of COVID. So I think one of the one of the things is fundamentally is your business, is there a burning platform to say if your business doesn't change, you're going to go out of business in the next few years. And I would say the other big thing I would recommend is you need to have, you need to spend a lot of time understanding what the end goal is. What is the vision? And you have to clearly articulate some, some groups I've worked with, I actually, which is, sometimes really amusing. I would take an, um, an executive team and actually instead of them, instead of them using something they're very comfortable with by having a narrative, by having their vision in words, I actually give them crayons, glitter dust, glue, and I actually have them draw the vision. Hmm. And it really gets, and most executives, and I came out of the high tech industry for years. And when you give an engineer sparkle dust and feathers <laughs> and glue, it's amazing. Some of them go, first of all, they think this is the dumbest idea, but once they get into it, it's amazing. Some of the things you get out of that. And and then I would have them articulate it. Of course, then I would switch it over to words. So when they were done playing, like they were in kindergarten, I actually have them then describe verbally and that helps to really, it's almost like, you know, they're really thinking left brain, right brain. Yeah. They're really moving over. Most of them are, are much more left-brained individuals. And it really gets them to think much more out of the right brain side and highly creative so that's one of the other things i think about there so and the other big part besides understanding what the burning platform is to move and change you have to build that competitive you have to build that very compelling vision as to why you have to change and then you have to you have to do several things along the way because at the end of the day i use um, there's several, there's you know 100 change management models. But I just love the, you know, I love going into the, you know, the uh, the denial, resistance, exploration, commitment model. I think it was started by William Bridges. There's a lot of other biz. There's a lot of others. Cotter has a great model out there. John Cotter, who's a, you know, world-renowned management guy. But the key thing is you've got to have steps that you methodically work through. And the other big thing is you need to understand as you're going through a major change that things are going to get worse before they get better. And a lot of company, a lot of changes fail simply, you know, 70 to 80% of change management processes fail because when things start getting worse, the, the leadership team is not fully committed to it. So they actually decide to ditch the change process. And they're like, you know, let's go back to my security blanket and go back to the way it was. And so I I make sure that whenever I'm working with a company, I always tell them guys before guys, gals, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But you have to understand. I'm going to say, trust me, things will get better, but you have to go through that valley of despair. And if you're not ready to go through that valley of despair, for depending on the complexity of the change, you you may be there for a while. You have to buckle up your seatbelts, put on your big girl, big boy pants, and buckle up. Because if you're not ready to do that, then don't change, because that's one of the biggest reasons companies think they need to change, they need jerk into the change. They're not ready to go through the unproductivity, the the, the gnashing of teeth that's going to happen. And then they come out of the, the and they're not willing to take those, those those hard steps. And they actually end up ditching the chain three, six months in. And maybe they've also spent 100000 hundred thousand two hundred thousand $200,000 along the way. And they actually revert to where they were before. And that's the worst thing you can do whenever you have something that's going to really save the business.
0: I can imagine, which goes right back to where you started, which do you have a need... And where will that need, and where will taking change of that need get you to? And right. that, that should help carry you through.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: We're gonna take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're gonna talk a little more about the seven C's to building a winning team. And I wanna get into performance management. I heard you mention that earlier. And anytime someone says that, I always have to dig it. So we'll be right back and we'll jump right into the conversation.
1: Understand, engage, inspire, and retain your people like never before. PeopleElement's employee experience and engagement solution delivers powerful intelligence, giving you the confidence to act. To learn how you can gain a better understanding of your employees, please visit us at PeopleElement.com.
0: We are back with the HR hot sauce with Mark Pitford. Mark, are you ready?
1: I'm ready when you are, Tom.
0: Mark, what is the best job you have ever had?
1: Wow. Best job I've ever had. Probably first job in my career was with a Swedish telecom company by the name of Ericsson. Great thing about that is that I used to be, during the heyday of travel, I was overseas about 30% of the time and I got to go to some great places. Um, My normal business trip was Stockholm, Sweden. So it's a great place to be, great place to be in the summer, not so great in the winter time, but great place to be very friendly people. But I used to go all over Europe and several other continents with Ericsson. So that was probably a highlight.
0: What's one phrase in the workplace that drives you nuts?
1: This is the way that we've always done it. And I'm about changing things up and uh, a lot of what I do now is helping them think a very different way from it. Especially around human resources and what uh, a solid HR person, solid HR strategy can do do for its business.
0: It's mid-March, perfect question here. Do you like working on rainy or sunny days?
1: When I'm working on my business and I'm working on the business, I probably would much rather work on rainy days because I'd much rather be outside. So I'd much rather, to keep it short here, I'd say I'd much rather work internally on rainy days and have the sunny days for the weekend when I can go outside and play a little more.
0: man. How can someone make your day at work?
1: Yeah, that's a great one. It's actually, I would say, if they tell me... In the work that I do, the consulting engagements, if they say, Mark, I really appreciated your input, uh, a simple thank you will go a long way. And I would just say, you know, I'm not, uh, but I I would say that if they really say that I appreciate the work that you're doing, I appreciate that you've expanded my horizons around the people side of the business, that makes me feel really good.
0: Favorite interview question to ask or be asked?
1: Tell me about a situation when you failed, explain it to me in detail and what did you learn from it?
0: Favorite song to bring you out of a funk,
1: Mark? Definitely a good Michael Jackson song, or Earth. a lot of good songs coming out of Earth, Wind, and Fire. And I know the younger folks probably don't even know who Earth, Wind, and Fire is, but they were a very good band in the
0: 1980s. What's your favorite tune by then? September. Awesome. Final question, medium, mild, hot, or nuclear?
1: I would go between, I love spicy, so I would say I would go between hot and nuclear.
0: My man. You and i are in that same boat <laughs> you are done with the hr hot sauce let's get back to the rest of the show and we're back that was a great hr hot sauce uh, mark that was really uh, really fun putting that one together i intro we want to talk about performance management i just recently realized that i thought performance management was just once a year review zero to five three percent raises or Nothing. I feel like after two thousand eight, like three percent raise just disappeared. That didn't come out of that dip in the economy yeah. uh, somehow. But I, I found out that like essentially that was like GE's model, and it just broadly talked, and everybody, whether you're GE sized or not, yeah. went yeah that. And then no one touched it. And then now I feel like everybody's touching it. There's a million opinions of performance management out there. Some are saying get rid of it all together. Some are saying No, no, you should still do it once a year. Some are saying, oh, you should do it a lot lot tighter. So let's get your opinion. I I really liked your insights. How do you build out performance management for these organizations that don't have it? And what do you think are the most important cornerstones for any organization in the topic of performance management?
1: Sure. I'd say first and foremost, performance management. A lot of people would think performance management equals a performance review. So you have to get out of the mindset of this is an event, this is an annual event that managers don't like to do. And it's also driven by HR because HR is gonna have something to do. So therefore they make this big hoopla around, you know, doing reviews and things like that. So I'd say that's one of the first things that I wanna dispel is a performance management, performance management process is holistic. It happens throughout the year. Uh, performance management is everything from uh, giving timely feedback to employees on a regular basis. It's really critical to um, we help a lot of companies build um, uh, an onboarding process. And one of the key things is new employees need a lot of feedback, especially, you know, I don't, I don't want to bash millennials or Gen Zs, but millennials and Gen Zs live in a they live in a world where they want they want a lot of feedback I agree and they want it continuously yeah so i would say that the onboarding process i i recommend one of the clients i work with they just hired a new hr person she technically does she can't work for me directly but she technically works for me so tomorrow afternoon on a friday today's thursday on friday i'm going to call her on friday afternoon and check in with her so i even build into the onboarding process have a 10 or 15 minute conversation at the end of friday how did your week go? How did, how was everything? What was frustrating? How can I help you? I would so I would say very upfront, making sure you build a feedback, a constant feedback loop into the performance management process. Making sure also if things are not going well, you have a a very uh, consistent and, const- and and very constructive process around disciplinary action, because so many companies that I work again, we specialize with companies. Let's say. 50 employees to about 250, 300, a lot of them terminate employees without a lick of documentation. And so there's nothing that says you ever did a poor job. And of course, the the icing on the cake is you never tell an employee in writing that an outcome of this process could be termination. And that is a huge landmine from a liability. That's You're pretty much handing it to an attorney who represents the employee that write a check for me because you wrongfully terminated this this person so making sure you have a good onboarding process part of performance management making sure you have a compelling disciplinary process and a process around discipline or corrective action also making sure around your actual evaluation process you actually drive that to focus on not only just doing some sort of a review but you also, you also build in there a facet around career development. What do you want to be when you grow up?
0: Yeah. Love
1: that. Yeah. Because if you don't know, and you know, I, I, I guess I won't share my ear, my age here. Well, I'll share my age, whatever. It's 59. It's 59. So, um, so I have been around the block in HR a few years, but I still am trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. So It's amazing, too, because there's a lot of people who are whether it doesn't matter if they're in their 50s or they're in their 20s. If you ask that question, it's amazing some of those responses you'll get from them. And the beauty is you need you need people within the performance world. You need your steady eddies who are going to do a good job and they don't want to move up. They want to stay in that same job for the rest of their life. And that's great. But you're also going to have those people who are 25 years old who want to be the CEO. And so you need to have a kind of a mix of both because we all know that not everybody can be the CEO of the company. You only have one of those. And you all, you only have one COO, but some folks are who are in HR want to go into operations. Some folks in operations want to go into marketing. So the nice thing is, especially if the organization has 500,000 employees, you can start moving around. You can start moving people around strategically and so i would say performance management goes into career development Mm -hmm. goes into onboarding processes goes into continuous feedback and documentation goes into things around disciplinary action and if you will if you just visualize i know this is an audio but if you visualize a circle that performance management never it doesn't really have a start and an endpoint it's cyclical and depending people will join the organization people will leave the organization continuously but making sure the biggest thing is making sure that managers and leaders clearly understand this is a holistic process and good performance management throughout the year will will help to not only keep the employees engaged, but they'll also make sure that it's very intentional about the communication touch points that the leader should have with their employee on a very regular basis.
0: You covered a lot of ground there, Mark. That's that uh, yeah. that that was that that was awesome. You know, and I think you know, the great resignation in my perspective is largely driven by a lack of performance management strategy or execution from starting early on to you know, talking about career development, where are they going, to being consistent in how you, how you give feedback and how you uh, develop your team, not just doing the annual performance review. My wife was just, I don't think her boss listens to this. My wife was just doing performance reviews for her team they had she's been there three months they had her doing everyone's performance reviews on her team by herself and they had her do a full performance review to go and file for the person she hired a month ago and the person she hired two months ago that haven't sold anything or done anything other than just onboard. board i was like wow <laughs> talk about a check the box performance
1: <laughs> right yeah that's <laughs> that that puts your, uh, I, I wish your wife the best to luck go through that process because it, it just puts her in a bad spot. Yeah. And it and, at a real disadvantage.
0: She's, you know, she's at a VP level and she's got a lot on her plate and she spent a whole lot of time trying to figure out how to do performance reviews for these people that she did not manage uh, for the majority of the time. And some people that haven't done anything yet, they're still in training. Right. <laughs> so it's uh Know that it is broken out there. It's not just us sitting here, you know, talking platitudes. It's it's a good organization. They're a great organization, right? Definitely a topic I want to talk about. So as we're, as we're kind of landing this plane here, I did, you know, I was reading through your LinkedIn, you got a great social presence. Again, I'll I'll link to that. I encourage everyone listening to check it out, but you talk about the seven C's to building a winning team, uh, in, in a post last month. You know, tell me about this approach. Tell me where it comes from. I know it really resonated with me, and I uh, I just want to make sure this gets shared out to all of our listeners, too. I thought it was great.
1: Sure. Yeah, no, i will be happy to, Tom. Thanks. It's yeah. It's, it's not, you know, I wish I came up with it. I was smart enough to come up with the seven Cs. I, I didn't. It's really from um, a former football coach um, out of the Atlanta Falcons, uh, Mike Smith, and then he worked with a, uh, a management consultant, leadership consultant by the name of John Gordon. So it, it's and it comes from a book, you know, the you went in the locker room first. So that's really if you link back to that or pick up that book or do an audio book, it's, it's got some really good things in there. But so the seven C's, ironically, the the, the thing that I love first, of course, the, the, the first C is culture. And, you know, it, it's it's a um, so when you think about culture. And a lot of times people or automatically think about or, you know, they think about cultures are correlated to businesses and, and every organization, every real organization has a culture. I went to, you know, like it or not, I went to Baylor University down in Waco, the hop and spot of Waco national basketball champs last year, just starting on March Madness now, had a great win this today.
0: I was going to say, I saw they were on. I didn't see, I didn't see who won. So I was going to, yeah, there. they, they, congratulations. not bad
1: for the other team. They were, they won by 30 something points, but it was, uh, it's only the start. It'll get a lot tougher, but uh, the, the the coach there now and went to a program that it was decimated as uh, coach Scott drew has been there he's got his own book out too, but he's created a culture around joy and he has embedded this within his players So very similar here again, a lot of coaches, doesn't matter what sport, what level they talk about the culture they're building, building within their teams. So I'd say, first of all, you know, first seven C is culture. I know we gotta, we gotta move on here, but, uh, the next one is contagious. So having somewhat of a contagious attitude and really goes back into, um, leading with a with leading with a passion and purpose. You know, some of the best leaders, they don't have to have all, they check the boxes, but they're really, they need to be passionate about what they do and excited about what they do every day. So I'd say the next C up, um, second C is contagious. The next C, which I love too, it's a little more, I don't know, you could say ho-hum, but it's actually around being consistent. And consistency, especially with newer managers, newer leaders I work with, I tell them, you know, you have to do, if you're going to do one thing, you've got to do it time and time again, and you can't be playing favorites. You've got to be very consistent in how you lead, how you discipline, how you look at promotions, how you look at reviews. You need to have a very similar lens. So consistency is huge because if you're not consistent, you're going to lose trust within your employees and you're also going to, you're going to lose trust, respect, and, and, uh, and you're also going to lose a lot of things that are just core and innate within being a good leader. So consistent. Next one up. Communication, especially if your business is going through, if they're going through high growth or unfortunately maybe high restructuring and high contraction now, you know, communication has got to happen. It's easy to communicate when things are going great. Um, it's really hard. I was with a couple of companies in corporate that went bankrupt and the big thing, like it or not, I really pushed on the leaders was you got to communicate, you got to be very open. You've got to be honest and transparent. Now one of the, a couple of the organizations, we literally had to take it apart and dress it up for, for consistency. But I was able to work with the, the CEO GM of that business and he went from being so staged and so unnatural and so rigid to when we finished going through that process, I loved, I, I gave him three bullets to talk about weekly. And it just turned out to be awesome because he was very personable. And this was a very high level engineer who felt felt very uncomfortable about communicating. And he became very passionate, very empathetic as we were going through this restructuring. So communication is the next one out of the seven Cs. You know, the, the next one up is connection you got to be able to connect with your team, especially I would say with the changes that are going on within the workforce now, a lot of people are uh, more and more people are working remotely and a lot of people are hired remotely too, which is a real challenge because some of the people, they never see their boss and they were hired into a remote environment. So making sure you connect with people often and making sure you're doing that on a regular basis. And sometimes it's just... It could be just a random, you know, it's kind of one of those random things, Uh, you know, just checking in with them. If you have technology and IM or whatever message system, you know, how's it going today? How's your day going? And maybe just checking in with them. Maybe they've been working on a big project and working long hours. How's your day going? Or, you know, send them a Starbucks card, send them a, if, you know, send them a, a little gift at their home. And, you know, thanks so much for working so hard on this project. Really appreciate it and that's going to keep that engagement level up for that employee. The last two of the 7 Cs, next one is commitment. So, making sure you've got committed people on your team. If they're if you're finding they are starting to become a little bit disengaged and distracted, you know, reel them back in, find out what's going on in their life. You know, they may have a lot of things that are going on within their life that you don't really you don't want to get into too much of the personal side, but you also um, you know, Kim Scott she has a great book Radical, Radical Candor. Um, and one of the key things in there is really, and she's a, you know she's high tech, she's been in Silicon Valley for years. Uh, but she one of the key things within that book is really about caring for the people on your team personally. And so committing to really get to know your people, know yourself first and getting to know your people is huge because you know somebody may have a uh, you know may have a teenager who tried to commit suicide. May have a teenager who's got problems with drug addiction or alcoholism, maybe taking care of aging parents. You know, they may have a lot of stresses. Like Three year old that
0: wakes me up all
1: night. Exactly, right there, Tom. So yeah,
0: I'm not sleeping right now.
1: Yeah. So and so, kudos to you. You know, you're doing well. So, you know, so really committing to getting to know your people and making sure you can have those conversations. Again, you don't want to become their shrink, their psychologist but making sure you stay connected with your people is critical, whether they're in the office, whether they're remote, however it's set up. And then the last thing is creating a caring culture. As I mentioned, maybe I referenced it earlier, but the last one is kind of, you know, is caring for your employees. You know, when they're sad, you know, making sure, Hey, do you need to take a day off? Do you need a time out here and just say, Hey, I'm going to give you a day off. Don't take it as PTO time. Just go take care of yourself. If they've been working on this huge spa uh, project, you know, send them a gift certificate to go have a spa day or get a massage or something like that because I'll guarantee you that 100 bucks or whatever you spend, send somebody you know the universal Amazon gift card or Starbucks gift card. You know, thanks so much for working on this. Hey, just thinking about you, let me know if you need anything if they're going through a really tough time. It's amazing how that will keep that level of engagement up. And keep that and just show that you care about your your employees, because every employee and again, so many people now are being are working remotely or they're working in very different ways that a lot of companies now are losing the connection and that connectedness, that act of caring, being able to understand, even though I just see you like, you know, I see you on a screen, I see you on Teams and Zoom all the time, just sometimes doing a random check in with them just to show you care. And especially if they're going through something trying within their life, is will, will be huge. And so those those are in the nutshell, are kind of the seven C's. But uh, great, uh, a lot of really thought provoking things from somebody who was really outside of the corporate environment, but did a really nice job as the coach, uh, former coach of the Atlanta Falcons.
0: I'm gonna go seek out that book. Also, radical candor sounds like something that I yeah. should uh, I should check out as well. So I'll put links to all that in there. Mark, this has been great. Uh, we've covered probably more ground on this podcast than anyone uh, any podcast thus far. So I appreciate just how you're able to really talk in such a broad range and really dial into some really great actionable points. As we sign off here, if you had to give one final piece of advice to the workforce. You get to talk to every person that goes to work. They're all listening. you the world's biggest audience. What do you tell people about going to work every day right now where we're
1: at? Yeah, I would would say when you go to work, go to work with a positive attitude. Even if you don't love your job, even if you're looking for a job and you're not that satisfied, maybe you're part of that great resignation or you're thinking about being one of those statistics. Go to work with a positive attitude and and give 110% every day. Because if you don't do that, you don't want to end up two thirds of the workforce is either disengaged or actively disengaged. Do what you can to be one of those engaged workers. And that even if you're, you know, even if you're very new with the company or you've been with the company for years, be one of those engaged employees who's excited to be there and be kind of that rallying cry for other employees. And also just be able to, you know, that, that helps the leaders to be really happy. Love it. And leaders are, are loved to have engaged employees. And just remember the leader, your boss is a person, too. So ask them how they're doing, get in a conversation, get to know your boss. And, um, you know, I think that'll go a long way for you, just not only professionally, but also personally, if you go, you know, just just like one of those uh, one of those adages, you know, life's 80 life's percent or 90 percent of attitude. And so go into work with a positive attitude. And I think that'll help your stress level a lot and probably help you do really well in your uh, your career uh, journey.
0: Mark, thank you for all your insights. I'm going to leave this podcast with a positive attitude. I'll tell you that. This has been awesome. Uh, hopefully, it was fun for you as well. And just want to thank all of our listeners for joining us once again and learning all about HR. We'll see you next time around. Have a great afternoon, a great day. Be safe.